Welcome to the Red Agenda. It's brought to you by The Athletic. Tournaments, of course, have been cancelled. Leagues are suspended. There hasn't been a live game on TV in weeks. But The Athletic is still home to 400 of the best sports writers out there. And in these very strange and uncertain times, they're still hard at work telling unique, engaging and informative stories. The Athletic can keep you connected with all the latest football news during the hiatus and bring you the very best writing on Liverpool from our own James Pierce and Simon Hughes. Sign up now for a 90-day free trial to see for yourself. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod for a 90-day free trial. Well, we did originally record this week's show on Monday lunchtime, but much has changed since then, and Liverpool have reversed their much-criticised decision to furlough non-playing staff. That meant the first half of the show has been scrapped, but we can bring you reaction to the about turn. Our very own Simon Hughes has been speaking with David Ornstein from the Athletics' Ornstein and Chapman podcast. That Monday evening, around half six... A statement landed on Liverpool's website, um, which is quite a long statement. Quite interestingly, it's been signed off by Peter Moore, uh, the chief executive. When Liverpool have made mistakes in the past and apologised for those errors, it's usually been the um, the owners, one of uh, John Henry or Tom Werner, or joint, jointly signed, as I think they did um, when they um, backtracked on the £77 uh, ticket scheme that they had in 2016. Um, I mean, it's quite a long statement, but the the, 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 the crux of it uh, arrives halfway down where it says, we believe we came to the wrong conclusion last week to announce that we intended to apply to the coronavirus retention scheme and furlough staff due to the suspension of the Premier League football calendar. And we are truly sorry for that. So that's a, a, a big apology from Liverpool. Um, further down the statement, it's, it, it does remind that Liverpool do operate in a real financial world and clubs off the back of this crisis are going to have to cut their cloth accordingly um, and Peter Moore reminds that having these vital resources so profoundly impacted would obviously negatively affect our ability to operate as we pre- previously have. Now that doesn't really tally I think with, with that what that decision would have made uh, I, I think because you know, it depends how long uh, football is suspended for but uh, you know, potentially the, if it's three months this would have cost Liverpool anything between two, two and a half million pounds so in the grand scheme of things okay it's going to have an impact on Liverpool uh, but it's not a major impact um, as I said a bit earlier on I think there are more creative ways of dealing with this uh, rather than the decision they arrived at but you've got to give Liverpool credit for, for, for backtrack for, for coming down and, and reacting to the fan base um, because I do feel that if you know if we just continue to criticise people uh, even when they do admit their mistakes you know it's not going to lead to much progression and just potentially you know lead to more football clubs not apologising when they do mistakes make mistakes as we've seen with other football clubs um, you know the, the various clubs Liverpool aren't the only club that have made a mistake over the last five to ten years and, and many of those don't have the humility to admit their errors yeah, credit where it's due for the climb down. However, they did make the decision in the first place. And very interesting that you point out that Peter Moore has written the statement when um, people I spoke to at and around Liverpool have said that this was a decision taken at ownership level, that the reaction just basically became untenable for them and that this was a, a decision that was sort of emotion based on practicality they couldn't go on with this kind of atmosphere around the club the city um 
and I didn't sense a great deal of contrition about the original feeling, which, as you point out in that statement, they're facing real challenges, more the backlash. Do you think that's the crux of this? That they don't necessarily feel they made the wrong decision, but that the reaction was just something they wouldn't be able to cope with going forward. And they're going to have to find a solution to plug this gap through some other means. Yeah, I mean, I think, as I said, that the statement finishes on this. It almost feels a little bit like a veiled threat. <laughs> I remember when Ian Eyre stood in front of the cameras as Peter Moore's predecessor as the chief executive, and it was the, it was the Friday before Liverpool played Sunderland, and the fans staged a mass stadium walkout, which had never been seen at Liverpool before. And Ian Eyre tried to, to justify the reasons why the club had made this decision. And I'm pretty much warned the club, you know, you've got to be careful what you wish for, which sort of harked back to the old Hicks and Gillette era, which, yeah, fair enough, but the club is still making a mistake. It doesn't mean that because other owners have previously made mistakes that the current ownership were permitted to do whatever they wanted just because they were running the club in a far more responsible way. And the statement does sort of read a little bit like that. I, I agree that there isn't a great deal of contrition. Um, but clearly, obviously, Liverpool can't hide away from the fact that they'd originally made that decision based around what they were think they thought was right. They've reacted to this uh, on, the, on, the, on the basis of how the, fam, the fans have felt. It just really surprises me that, that, that you know, that they didn't see this coming. I mean, they've been Liverpool, Liverpool's owners for, for nearly 10 years now and they, they've had similar um, similar reactions off the fan base at different times throughout their tenure so you know the, the, they, they, they've got enough people at the club to understand how people in Liverpool feel um, you know particularly employment it's a very sensitive issue in, in a city which which has suffered you know over a number of decades um, and I understand they may have felt that, that this would safeguard employment and that you know they in the long term that the uh, people might suffer unemployment because of because of you know everything that's going on but ultimately you know there's a lot of people who work for the club who were furloughed who certainly didn't feel reassured by that decision they felt more vulnerable and I think when that happens you know you're going to face problems because people in Liverpool they tend to talk as well you know if, if you're not happy about something people will talk about it so it's clearly a mistake that they've made uh, I, I agree with you I think you know the it's three times now they've got the hat trick you know it needs to stop really um, you know they, they can't just keep on making the same mistakes because it undermines all the good work that they do as I said I think I think FSG are very responsible owners but it doesn't mean that they get everything right yeah and if you were to look at it on, on their side you might point out that this is an such an unprecedented situation that although they may have sensed some of the reaction they might not have known the the sheer extent of it so I don't know that might be their perspective but if we move it on to the players I'm pretty intrigued by how they may have reacted to this initial decision especially Jordan Henderson who's been um, on the so much on the front foot around uh, efforts among players to donate to the NHS uh, Jurgen Klopp is such a principal manager in, in all of the public utterances we've heard from him about this and various other issues uh, people at Liverpool are telling me that this change of heart, this reversal of the decision had nothing to do with the players or with Jurgen Klopp. But I wonder privately whether 
the likes of Henderson and Klopp had some quite strong feelings on the issue. It, it would it would be unlike Jurgen Klopp not to have strong feelings on the issue. Equally, equally, I I could imagine that Jurgen Klopp could see the benefits of the decision that they'd made um, in the in the first instance. But clearly, they've got the message wrong and 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 not not done not reassured the people this effect this affects it uh, and, and and you know they, they haven't they haven't managed it particularly well at all I mean as I mentioned I think in the podcast earlier you know let's let's be honest that the, the newspaper um, there was a newspaper that broke this story you know those reporters have done their job properly it was it was accurate and they've reported properly so they've been they've been sort of caught on the hop a little bit here Liverpool um, but you know it's not it's not a newspaper or journal, journalist job to to try and manage what Liverpool are doing, they, they, they clearly haven't dealt with it in, in the se- with the sensitivity that was needed. As you said, it is an unprecedented situation, um, and I don't think any football club is finding this easy. But I just think that you know they've had enough experience of running Liverpool now and knowing Liverpool and and and, and seeing the way people react to things to understand how the reaction would be to this. You know that there are people who they employ at the club to to. to speak about you know the, the cultural relevance of every decision that they make um, so it's one that they've def- they have definitely got wrong but you know the first rule of, of PR when you've made a big error is admit your error as quickly as possible because the longer it goes on the bigger problem it becomes so maybe Liverpool have intercepted that for, uh, for the time being it's going to be interesting now because you know a lot of other football clubs are going to maybe find this you know find it hard to follow that path um, just touching on what you said about the, the players I mean I know that the players have been very working very hard to try and figure out some sort of a plan which would safeguard not only people at Liverpool but, but you know obviously other elements of society you know the NHS you know that, that hard work I would think would have been undermined by this decision because you know it would have looked like that, that the players had almost been forced by their own club into into making this decision when it might have been something that they've done anyway so the impression that I get is the communication across the club hasn't hasn't been as it should be um, you know of, of, of a matter of such uh, such importance yeah and I did think that or well, I was told that the likes of Jordan Henderson the squad the playing staff and coaching staff were initially assured that there would be nothing done negatively in, in respect of the lower paid staff and um, I suspect that the initial decision to furlough staff would have hit them pretty hard and it'd be fascinating to know if there was any private consultation um, in the reversal of this decision and why the owner's names weren't put on the statement and why it was Peter Moore. Um, We've touched upon that. One thing we haven't touched upon is where things go from here. So... I've scanned over some of the reaction and immediately there's a lot of praise for Liverpool's uh, climb down. There are a lot of people criticising the fact that they made the decision in the first place. Do you think going forward this has by and large um, won back the people they needed to win back, won back the goodwill? Or do you think they face a bit of a problem going forward in terms of trust and maybe it taking a bit of a gloss off of what has been a, a pretty spectacular season and you know if Liverpool are to go on and and lift the Premier League trophy they'll be domestic champions they won the European Cup last season does this 
come with a bit of a tinge mm. of disappointment going forward? Well, I think, you know, that certainly, you know, the Liverpool fan base is a very inquisitive one, which does hold the club and every decision that it makes to account. You know, it's it's got you know, the spirit of Shankly pressure group who, who have been thanked in the statement by Peter Moore for their involvement in the last couple of days, along with the Mayor of Liverpool, Joe Anderson, the Metro Mayor, Steve Rotherham. You know, all these people are interested and they understand the importance of Liverpool as a football club in, in the context of the local business community because so many, um, you know, so many businesses sort of need, you know, they coexist with Liverpool, you know, hotels, restaurants, bars, they all do well out of Liverpool. So, you know, there's a, that's why there is such a, an appetite to know what's going on at the club. And I think that, you know, the, the, no matter what happens, I think... There'll always be a level of distrust with the owners. It's just it's just the reality of the way Liverpool fans think about the people that run their club. It's not necessarily distrust might be a bit too strong, but but people people will always question what they do. So that will never change, no matter what. Even after Liverpool won the Champions League last year, Liverpool made the error around the trademarking issue, which uh, they failed and didn't get in the end. You know that was meant to be a summer of celebration and I mean I, I suppose that gives you some reference points to how people react I mean I, I, I don't think it really did spoil people's enjoyments of, of winning uh, winning a, you know the, the, the Champions League in Madrid um, but nevertheless it still leads you to think well what 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 scheme have they got they're going to try next I guess you know and I, think, I think that will always be an element of that within the Liverpool psyche you know it's a conspiratorial city anyway you know people always sort of um, trying to figure out what's going on at different levels of authority so I think that's something that the owners have sort of maybe got used to to some extent but I say that but you know they clearly haven't um, they, they clearly have over, overlooked how the optics around this and that's a term that I that I used in, in my article that, that they haven't seen how this despite maybe their intentions of thinking well we're actually protecting people's jobs here you know they, they haven't maybe stopped to consider how it looks to people who are uh, who are viewing the situation and equally I guess the workers yeah well my final thought is what does this mean for the other clubs because you mentioned the pressure that's been growing Tottenham as I understand it, have no immediate plans to reverse their decision to furlough staff. Um, although in their statement, they did say they'll be reviewing it on an ongoing basis. And from speak people I've spoken to at the club, when they've asked the hierarchy if this situation is going to change, that phrase has been repeated. It's being reviewed on an ongoing basis. We've seen Norwich do it. We've seen Bournemouth do it. Um, and there's a very good chance that many others will follow suit. Manchester City and Manchester United have said they won't be. But if vast swathes of the Premier League do, the longer this goes on, what sort of position will Liverpool be in? And, and will they regret the fact that they um, they reversed their decision in the first place if everyone else jumps on board? We'll wait and see on that one. But Simon, thank you as always. It's a pleasure. Well, thanks to Simon Hughes and David Ornstein for their reaction to Liverpool's decision to reverse their plan to furlough non-playing staff. Well, we can now bring you our discussion about Robbie Fowler and his move into management down under, which we didn't need to scrap from our original recording. That's coming up after this. Lisa puts it back into the box. Header on goal. Oh, he's got it. And the captain has 
right, if you've not checked out Simon's brilliant piece on The Athletic, make sure you do so. It's called uh, Bathing in the Public Wallet, Leaving Liverpool Facing an Identity Crisis. Brilliant stuff by uh, Simon. Loads more articles on there on The Athletic. Uh, thanks to our good pals at Beer52.com, you got the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash agenda and pay the postage of £4.95. If that wasn't enough, Red Agenda listeners get two extra free beers. That's ten free beers uh, from Beer52, who are beer pioneers. They go around the world to find the best and most interesting beer from the very best craft breweries. They're now the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, uh, Beer52 deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, on and on and on. And as an independent UK company, Beer52 are passionate about the UK craft beer scene. And the beauty of Beer52 is you can leave any time. Power's in your own hands. Your case will include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment, and you get a beery snack thrown in as well. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash agenda to get your case free. And don't forget, right now, Red Agenda listeners get two extra free beers. Okay, this is the Red Agenda on The Athletic. And uh, let's talk about former players trying to find their way in the managerial forest. For one very high-profile name, he had to go down under to Australia, where he's done a pretty formidable job. And James Pearce has caught up with Robbie Fowler. Um, so how's Robbie's season gone at Brisbane Raw? Yeah, he's he's done outstandingly well um, you know I've been obviously been watching his uh, his kind of managerial debut season with interest from afar and because he, he walked into a, a Brisbane Raw club that, that, had, uh, that hit on hard times really they were second bottom in the uh, Hyundai A-League last season um, only won four games all, all season um, and then you know before this suspension kicked in he'd led, he'd led them from up to fourth place in the table and you know where they only won four all season last season they've won 10 already I think they conceded 71 goals last season defensively you know huge improvement only conceded 24 goals he's he's won back-to-back a-league manager of the month awards as well and, and was on the brink of making it a hat-trick just before the suspension so um yeah quite rightly he's um he's pretty proud of, of the way things have gone over there I, th- I think we should mention the fact as to why he went there. It's not as if he didn't look at the, the football landscape here, is it, James? And I'm not just talking about the uh, the Premier League or the Championship when he was looking for a first managerial job. No, it's spot on. I, you know, I, for a number of years now, um, he is he's, he's put his name out there. Um, Desperately trying to get his foot in the door, and was prepared to go to a club in in League One or League Two. I mean, interestingly, I asked him about this, and I, I said to him, you know, how did you, you know, what what did you do? How did you know? Was it a case of actually putting in formal applications? And he he said he he kind of went down the the road of of just word of mouth and making it clear to you know the powers that be at certain clubs that that he would be keen if 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 they uh, if they were interested. But he said, what for whatever reason. They went in another direction, and it always did surprise me because I thought I think 
you know, you know, I think he's he's someone who's never never sought to cut corners with this. He you know, he, he went and did all his coaching badges. He, he got his UEFA Pro license back in 2017. Spent a huge amount of time at Liverpool's academy, um, where his his son Jacob's on the books in the under 14s. You know, he's worked as a mentor with the young strikers in the under 18s and the and the 23s squad. So he's he's not been afraid to get his hands dirty. But you know, I, I genuinely think he's had a bit of an image problem in in trying to break into management and I think he acknowledged it himself in in the interview we did because um, you know I think I think when people think about Robbie Fowler I think they tend to think about him as being this kind of joker and some of the on-field controversies and of course being part of that Spice Boys era and I think what tends to get overlooked is is firstly you know what an absolutely breathtakingly gifted player he was you know who you know, broke so many goal scoring records you know in, in that mid '90s period, when he was unstoppable, and and also you know just how knowledgeable he is about the game, and um, and what he's given back to the the community as well with the work of his of his academy. So I think I think he has had to almost battle against that perception of I think he said it himself. You know, he said people have this picture of me as this happy-go-lucky character who's never serious, and he said you know hopefully now with what I've done in Australia, I have proved the point. You know, I have shown how dedicated and how passionate I am, and he said you know. All I ask is that people will judge me on what I've done as a manager, rather than whatever whatever image they had in their head of me. So, um, mm. yeah, I think I think it's, he's in a difficult position at the moment because you know we talk about pay cuts and all the rest of it in the Premier League. Well, he, you know he's not from, for in the A League. You know they that's a you know they're they're in a very precarious situation financially. Um, you know in Brisbane, all of their players and staff were told you're not getting paid a single penny from April the first onwards. So. You know, he's got no idea. You know, he seemed to think that the A League season won't get completed. But you know, of course, when you're not getting paid a single penny, where does that leave him in terms of the remaining year on his contract? So, um, you know, if if and when he does return over there is all up in the air at the moment. But you know, what you'd like to think on the positive side for him is that you know, even even if even if he doesn't head back over there, um, there should certainly be offers coming his way because I think I think he has he has proved the point with his the season he's overseen there. So he, he is a real student of the game, is, is Robbie. If you get the chance to talk with him, he, he's just incredibly knowledgeable, as, as is the man working alongside him, his technical director, Tony Grant. They're great mates on and off um, the field. From your perspective, why is it that someone with such a profile found it so hard to get a job, even in our country here? I mean, if you look... Up 90s footballers generally I know this is a bit of a weird way of looking at it but there aren't many footballers who played a sort of came through that process in the 90s who have become lower league managers if you like I think there's been a perception that those sorts of players weren't willing to go and, and manage in the lower leagues I think Paul Ince may have been one of the few who who sort of obviously started off at Macclesfield and and um, and went and, and obviously had a, a reasonable career, I guess, a management manager, a few different clubs. Um, uh, more recently, I guess, Saul Campbell's had success with the same club, Macclesfield, and gone to South Ends. You know, there aren't actually that many players from that period who who you know when it was a, a lot of money coming into football. Uh, and I think there's a a perception maybe amongst club owners that 
those players don't necessarily have the motivation to become really successful managers, you know, and, and because of the new money in football now, maybe that, that, that perception is changing a little bit, but I do agree with change. I think that maybe on in terms of Robbie Fowler, who obviously was a, a brilliant footballer for Liverpool, who, who's, uh, but I guess his career sort of, um, sort of didn't go well finishing the way he would have wanted it to in terms of all the injuries that he had and how they impacted on his on his game. Um, I think he he probably has suffered from some of the things that you know that he, he did in his career, which you know he can I guess he can only blame himself for, but he did them when he was a young lad, um, and maybe people don't treat him quite seriously enough to become. A, you know, an elite football manager. I mean, I do think that, generally speaking, you know, there are very few footballers who have played at a very high level of the game who then have become top-level manager, particularly at the, the highest level. But I think Robbie Fowler's argument would be that he, you know, that he hasn't even had interviews in, in some cases. Uh, I know he did some coaching at MK Dons when when Carl Robinson was there, and then hoped that that might be a bit of an in for him, but. Obviously, that never materialised. So you can only commend, I guess, his patience. You know, it shows. You know, the, the move to um, to go and manage. In, I know he had a short spell as a player manager in Thailand, but I guess that passion has never gone away. And he's had uh, obviously a lot of patience in between finishing his career and now to go and manage in in Australia. Um, you know, will it give him the opportunity to manage in the football league, which is clearly where he wants a chance? I mean, you know, by achieving relative success at a club that was struggling, I think that will will be attractive to some to some uh, to some football club chairman. But unfortunately, you know, these these jobs aren't aren't always um, there aren't many of these jobs as well. You know, there's only a certain number of jobs that will become available this in the season, and you know, there's high competition for those jobs now. So sometimes it's about whether your face fits as well. There's so many different reasons why um, but I, I do think obviously having, having gone in and, and managed in Australia and, and done a decent job at a reasonably high standard you know there's, there's the A-League is, is, is a lot better standard than it was 10 years ago I think it gives him a much better footing I suspect he might have to go and manage perhaps somewhere else and, and achieve palpable trophy success before he has that winning argument where he can say well look I've, I've delivered trophies for the club that I managed I think that that gives him a compelling argument then and there are certain players James uh, who have deep undeniable links with Liverpool Football Club and inevitably they will see that as their long term goal so we hear the, the conversation all the time about Steven Gerrard who again is still on the learning curve but whenever he's asked about the link with Liverpool he, he never completely bats it away I think he'd love to think that was his future Robbie will have the same sort of inspiration and same sort of pathway idea, won't he? Oh yeah, yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. That you know, when 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 he's embarking on this journey, that that will be the the ultimate the ultimate target. You know, just like it is for Steven Gerrard. I think obviously for for Steven Gerrard, it's probably a, a kind of closer, more realistic goal at the moment, just because of you know where he's managing at an elite club up, up in Scotland and all the rest of it. But I think yeah, for for Robbie, I think you know he he knows that. You know, this is just the start of his journey, and as we said, deadly serious about it. I think you only had to you know, listen to him in in the interview talk about how he'd been getting up in the middle of the night to watch every every Liverpool game this season. You know, talking about how he'd kind of taken on board little bits from from you know he said about the you know the tactical and technical side of things from working with Benitez and Houdier to he said you know the way that that Roy Evans would deal with players. He said you know he, he feels as if he's you know picked up things from from 
a lot of different top managers that, that he played with and also from the time he spent in the company of Jurgen Klopp because of course as a as a club ambassador for, for a number of years he, he, he had that luxury of, of spending time with Klopp especially on the, the pre-season tours so he said you know he's he's tried to put into practice a lot of those things he said you know you you, you look at the way that Liverpool operate you know he, he talked about how you know his upbringing was always the, the Liverpool way and, and trying to emulate that and yeah we're, we're, we're you know we're, we're, wherever it leads him we'll, we'll have to wait and see I think it was interesting hearing him talk about the MLS I think I think he, he would certainly see that as like the probably the next the next kind of stepping stone for him would be to go to a league like that if an opportunity came up but yeah ultimately the, the dream will be to to come back to England to, to manage at the highest level uh, and of course you know the, 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 there wouldn't be a, a, a bigger job that, that he would crave than than than, than is uh, than, than, than the club that he represented with such distinction for so long as always thanks for listening to this week's rejigged episode of the Red Agenda it will be back to some normality next week with myself Steve Hothersall James Pierce, and Simon Hughes see you then 